Welcome back to the Here We Go Again podcast. You're once again joined by myself, Luke Gallagher, and my colleague, Michael Gower. And today, episode three, Super John McGinley. How are you, John? I'm very well, thank you. So we, it's kind of a run through your career from start to finish, really. Obviously, we'll get on to Bolton. There's plenty to talk about. Started off at Fort William in Scotland. How was that? Well, that was my hometown club. That's where I was brought up. And, you know, Fort William itself wasn't really a football town. It was a shinty town. And Shinty's a game played with sticks. And really to further your career or progress, you had to move really. So, but no, thankful, they, they gave me a good start and a good grounding, so they set me on my way as such. What was the standard like? Was it sort of not the best at that time up there? Or? Well, it was a Highland League. Yeah. And Fort William actually weren't in the Highland League, but they were allowed in the cup competitions. So, you know, our games were few and far between us. As such, really, but it was a good level, and and you know I'd made my debut for them when I was fourteen, so you know going into man's football at that age and physically and everything else, you're left a bit wanting. But it soon it soon makes your mind up, and soon uh, it soon gets you a bit wise to it all. Fourteen, wow, playing man's football at fourteen. <coughs> yeah, like you said, I bet you got some bumps and bruises from that back in the day. I also learned quickly how to maybe avoid them as well. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But uh, no, you did. It was it was a case of. You learn quite quickly, you have to give as good as you got or else you'll just run over the top of, you know what I mean? So, again, at that age, it was it was a good start to a certain extent. Nairn County, was that a sort of similar standard or was that like a step up? No, that was a step up. Uh, Nairn County were in the Highland League and we actually went through to play them in a pre-season game and the manager signed, well, basically signed me after the game, after we, when we played them. So... That was a step up. I mean, it was a bit of travelling. It was three times a week up to Nairn and back to Fort William, which, you know, was a couple of hours either way. But again, it was a step up for me, which was probably right at the time. What was the travelling like? Because how old were you when you <coughs> signed for Nairn County? Were you 17. 17. Yeah. And were you driving then or? Yeah. Only and just? Pretty much only just, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, it was, it was one of them where, you know, it was a big commitment. Yeah. You know, because you had to, you had to be there for training. You had to, and it was, it was a discipline thing as well. Things you got away with your local club, you didn't get away with it. It was more professional at yeah, that time. Yeah, just a step up inside all step up. over the ball. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was good for me, and you know, I was there. I, I played a lot of, a lot of games, scored quite a lot of goals for them, and at the time, my manager at the time, uh, Malcolm Cowie, was moving out to New Zealand, and ended up. I ended up going out to play in New Zealand, so I went out there for a season. So it was it was a good, very good experience. That must have been a culture shock moving right around the globe to go there. Well, do you know it? It all came about, and, and at that time it was all phone calls and letters. There was no email at that stage. You know what I mean? So it was it was pretty much prehistoric uh, communication. But no, I ended up going out there, and I was I was petrified, if I'm honest. I flew all the way across the world, landed there, not knowing who was meeting me or not knowing what I was really getting into. And I was homesick for the first three months. I just wanted to come home. I really did. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever been away from my family, from my town. Mm. First time I'd been abroad, really. So it was a tough one to start with. But as it, as it grew and as I got used to it, it was a lot better. And I, I came actually very close and staying there. You know, they, we played some all-star games you know league select games and things out there and and there were sort of there was talks maybe that 
the New Zealand FA at the time were maybe saying, well, if I stayed there, they could fast track so that you could become a New Zealander and everything else and really? stay there. Yeah, so, but it was good. Again, that was that was their highest standard, you know what I mean, on, in their country. And was that a top flight, was it? Yeah. It was their top flight. You flew to all the away games, well, the majority of the away games, because there's obviously a North Island, South Island. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, previous to that, five of my teammates for the team I played for, North Shore United, played in the World Cup two years before that. Wow. And they're playing against Scotland, Spain, you know what I mean? So they were in that group. So five of my, my teammates had played against Scotland in the World Cup two years previous. So you say it's an experience you enjoyed, but when you maybe just had to cut short because you were missing out <coughs> a little bit. Well, no, I, w- I was there. For, I was there for the season. I did my season. I finished the season off. Oh, was it just a year? Yeah, a year contract. Yeah, it was okay. just a year, okay. a year's uh, contract. So I finished the season off, and in the end, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really, really good. Uh, but I was glad to get home. And then when you went back, did you go back to Nairn County in Scotland? I guess by that point, though, you were you were probably trying to. Well, play it was actually because Nairn had let me go in the first place. Okay. The, the agreement was if I came back home, I would sign for them. All right, okay. So there was no ifs, buts, or maybes about that. But I'd, I'd signed for Nairn, and I'd quite quickly I'd scored a lot of goals, and I got offered a trial at Sunderland, and I went down to Sunderland. Uh, actually, stayed down there a month, played in the reserve, scored some goals there, and thought I had a good chance of getting taken on because I'd done really well. Uh, but in their eyes not quite made it so I ended up going back to to Nairn County and then probably a week maybe two weeks later I got this phone call out the blue from Jerry Gow who was the manager of Yeovil Town and what had happened was there was a coach at Sunderland called Cecil Irwin who used to manage Yeovil at one point and he played for them had uh, seen me at Sunderland and recommended me to Jerry so out of the blue, Jerry's phoned me and come down to Yeovil and I was like, ah, fair enough. You know? And that was because they were in the conference at the time, which was called the Gola League then. So I ended up headed down there, went on the train, headed down to Yeovil and there was only eight weeks or so left of the season, maybe ten weeks of the season left. Went down, signed, played, scored goals and at the end of that season I signed a three-year contract with them. Weird one, but like the standards that you've got. So you've gone from then yep. to New Zealand. Now you're now you're going to the Oval. Yep. What was the standard like and the step up? <clears throat> that was a big step up. The the one from Nairn County to Yeovil was a big step up, because at that time, I mean Yeovil were probably the best supported non-league club in the country at that time. They were averaging about two and a half thousand gates, you know. So. Yeah, that was a big step. And in fact, an interesting story on that one. The player I replaced was Ian Botham. Wow. <laughs> Ian Botham was a striker at that time for Yeovil. Yeah, that was his did, hometown. Did, that's where his mum and that's where his mum and dad lived. All oh, right, okay. And he was going on tour, wherever the cricket was, West yeah. Indies or wherever it was. He was going away on tour somewhere. So he had played up to a point and then like that's me done off on tour and, and I came in to, to replace him I took the number nine shirt off him <laughs> so I replaced Big, uh, big Ian Botham <laughs> checking you as good as him at cricket no probably not no, no. <laughs> uh, so Yeovil I mean it's not quite as far as New Zealand John but it's still a fair way yeah. from, from where you're from how did you find it moving all the way down there is it Somerset it's down to Somerset which wasn't 
like you said, it wasn't so bad because my mum and dad were regular visitors. They came down uh, to see us, and I'd, I'd, when I'd moved to Yeovil, I mean, within the first few weeks, really, I'd, I'd met, I'd met my wife in Yeovil, and in the three years that I was there, then two of my boys were born in, in Yeovil. You know, I got married in Yeovil, so you know, and, and Jerry Gow who was a fantastic player in his time, you know, he played for Bristol City, Manchester City, uh, you know, good, a real good, he became a very good friend. And, you know, he was, even further down the line in my career, he came back and he, he, he still was quite prominent in there in some of the things he did for me. How did you find English football at that time? What was it like in that period? Well, it was still proper. I mean, the, the non-league game then was very physical. Uh, pitches obviously weren't great but it was good I mean it was proper football you know and as much as as much as we were part time we were treated like full time players really you know so it was good I mean they were a, they were a good sized club in non-league football so it was a, again it was that step up that was needed for me so obviously a good time at Yeovil <coughs> and then back to Scotland side for Elgin City well, what had happened then, obviously, Jerry had left. Uh, a new manager had come in, Brian Hall. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, Brian didn't see eye to eye. You know what I mean? We, we didn't really get on that well. And Any stories that you could say on the podcast? That yeah, I mean, just, we didn't go on that well. He was, <laughs> he was, uh, he was, a, he was actually, well, he was actually a policeman. Ah. Right, he was a policeman that lived in London. He managed Wealdstone before he came mm -hmm. to Yeovil. Okay. Wealdstone were a big club as well. You know, Wealdstone, uh, Vinnie Jones, Stuart Pearce, There's all these boys that played, you know, there, yeah. through yeah. Wealdstone. So he had come through, and he was he was a, he was a little bit different, let's suppose. In, in his methods, or the way. Yeah, he his was methods. With the no, his methods. He changed the way we played. He didn't. And, and I'll be honest with you, it didn't really suit me. Right, you know, okay. and, and that was it and I knew my days were numbered uh, with him so came to the agreement was if I'd stayed in England they wanted money for me if I went back to Scotland I could go on a free so that's the that was the reason I ended up going back to Scotland I went back and joined Elgin City was it a bad move John? yeah he did well didn't you? a bad Elgin City was fantastic for me uh, I think by the time Obviously, we'd, we'd gone back in. By the time February came round, and I'd left, I think I'd hit 32 goals by the time I'd left in February. So it was a good good season for me. And obviously, teams had started to take notice. And I know there was talk of different clubs and different teams and everything else. And it was Ian McNeil who made the jump, really. His, uh, his son was scouting for him up in Scotland. He lived in Aberdeen, but he was especially the Highland League. And... Ian had been on, young Ian, Ian Junior had been on to Ian Senior and saying, you've got to go and sign him, you've got to go and sign him. And what had happened was, Jerry Gow, by this time, had got the Weymouth job. So Jerry had phoned me up and he went, I went, yeah, no problem. So Jerry had put a bid in, £25,000, which was, was non-league, was a lot of money at that time, you know what I mean? So Jerry had got the job there. Jerry then was flying up. I went through to Inverness Airport, picked Jerry Gow up, took him back through to Elgin to do the deal. So Jerry's in my car and we're talking away and you know from Inverness to Elgin. We get back to Elgin, we go as you go into the ground, I mean it's not a massive big you know, it was a good sized stand, but not a big stadium. You walk into the ground and on your right was the secretary's office, straight ahead of you was a boardroom. 
So we're heading towards the boardroom and the secretary pops his head out the door and he goes, John, can I have a quick word? And I went, I no problem. So Jerry carried on into the boardroom and by this time, Jerry's took, he's got his briefcase, he's took all the papers out, transfer forms, he's got a banker's draft there for £25,000 and it was all laid out on the table all neat. Well, the secretary's pulled me in and I've gone in and he goes, why is a sheet? And I thought, something's wrong, you know, I thought, what? He's pulled me in and he's gone, uh, McNeil's on the phone. And straight away I'm thinking, Billy McNeil, Celtic manager, you know what I mean? Here we go. And he went, Ian McNeil, Shrewsbury. I went, I don't even know where Shrewsbury is. Right, I haven't got a clue. No, no clue at all. And I went, you have to phone him. There's his number, so the guy's left the office, left me there, phones him, picks the phone up. Hello, Mr McNeil. Yep, John McGinley. He went, John, right, I want to sign you. I went, all right. He went, come down tomorrow, I want to sign you, like that. I went, well, no disrespect, Mr. I've got Jerry Gow here with a banker's draft. He's got the forms, he's going to sign me for Weymouth. And he goes, why would you go to Weymouth when you get an opportunity, league football? I mean, it was a championship at the time, Shrewsbury. Oh, really? Wow. So, I mean, straight away, yeah, it makes sense. Do you know what I mean? But then I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, does he want me to go down to have a trial? in the hope of maybe signing me or is it done and dusted and that so I said to him I said look I'm not coming down for a trial I'm not coming it's got it's got to be a concrete deal and he no, went yeah never. no I never he went yeah no problem done I want to sign you dude come down tomorrow I was like alright so I said yes on the phone put the phone down now I've got to go in and see Jerry right so walks into Jerry Jerry's sitting at the head of this big long board table and the directors are all sitting around the table, and I say, excuse me, gentlemen, can you can you give us a couple of minutes, just me and Jerry? And they went, aye, no problem, now to go. I'm Jerry, Jerry's going, what's wrong, what's wrong? All right, Jerry, I can't sign for you. He went, why? I said, I'm going to sign for Shrewsbury. And he went, no, no, come, and for about two minutes, you know what I mean, I went back and forth, and I'm, he says, nah, come with me, and then you'll get a I says, look, I've got the step up. And in the end, he stood up, shook my hand, and he conceded, and he said, look, as long as I get first dibs, if it doesn't work out, so fair enough. So he stayed that night. We went out with a couple of drinks, me and, me and Jerry. I ran him back to the airport the next morning and off he went back down to, to Weymouth. And I then, because I, I had a blue Ford Capri at that time, right? <laughs> that probably I couldn't get to the shops and back without filling up with water, right? <laughs> so it was one of them. Wait a minute, how am I going to get to Shrewsbury? So I, I had to drive down to Fort William to my mum's house to borrow her car and to give her my fork or pre right? <laughs> and if you could picture this, my mum wasn't a big tall lady or anything else, right? She couldn't even see over the bump of the bonnet on the fork or pre. She had to get like three cushions in order to sit on. And there's my mum. Have you ever seen anything so funny as my mum sitting in a fork or pre down dead low with this big bump on the bonnet she couldn't even see over? But I had to borrow her car to get to Shrewsbury. And what car was that? A mini metro. <laughs> I mean, it was a mini. It was a good one. It was a mini metro, like GT thing. It was. It was. It was nice. But so then, then Shrewsbury, yeah. like you say, there, equivalent of what is the championship now? Championship. Yep. So how did you find that then? Because that was a real breakthrough, well, really. At that time, Leeds United, Man City, Chelsea, they were all in there. You know. So I mean, straight away, I think, goodness sake, what I've come from. Yeah, playing in front of yeah. playing in front of four or five hundred people, 
to all of a sudden you go to Leeds and you're playing in front of 36,000 do you know what I mean it's like goodness sake I mean it was it was I was walking about with my mouth just <laughs> wide open you know and it was a uh, and to see some of the players that straight away you're people you'd only ever seen on the TV do you know what I mean and straight away you're playing against them and it was like wow so played scored a few goals in the first you know what games were left of the season I sort of cemented myself in a starting slot in, in the team and Ian McNeil was, was fantastic to me the manager he really was I mean he, he was he was like a second dad to me he was brilliant and I, and that's when I, met, I came across Tony Kelly for the first time all together at Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury so the first day I arrived there you know what I mean he, he gives out this story that I was like Rod Stewart you know come with the hair all spiked up long hair <laughs> earrings in and all I wasn't I was in a kilt yeah, and all that he, he tells all the story <laughs> typical but uh, typical yeah typical Tony you know what I mean why enhance a story you know what I mean <laughs> but uh, yeah so that's where I first came across Tony at, at that time and, and you know obviously we've been great friends ever since well, well he said sorry like he said what he thought of you what did you think of Cal's do you know I was just going to ask a similar question actually right well when I came across him I, I looked at him and he wasn't in the best physical shape for a footballer if I'm honest with you right and he knows that himself but I've never come across a better passer of the ball mm. and he controlled a game from the centre circle honestly he just popping passes off always available pop it into him at any rate you know what I mean Fact, first touch magnificent but then the vision the passing I mean he put so many honestly 70 yard passes you put them onto your chest and going through on goal you know creating stuff just or down the slots down the side of the mm. centre backs and stuff like that but the weight of the pass and things like that his vision you didn't even have to look you know he would play the ball into him and he would just ping a diagonal out on the left hand side you know what I mean and he would he was like the it was like he was just orchestrating everything do you know what I mean from that centre circle and everybody, he was like a magnet. Everybody, wherever they got the ball, they always knew he was free. Mm. You know, and he, and he just ran games from there. He always had that five yards of space. He was just clever, yeah. He made it himself. And uh, and don't get me wrong, he could be physical as well. But as a footballing brain, he was brilliant. And at that time, pretty quickly, did you realise that he was the character that we know him as today? Oh, that didn't take too long to work out, did it? <laughs> But uh, no, he's never changed on that side. Uh, listen, Tony Stoney, he's always he's always been front of the queue, unless it's going to the bar, and he's always at the back of the queue. <laughs> <coughs> so then you moved to Bury, 1990, so yeah. and moved to the northwest. How was that? Well, the Bury one came about where when I when I moved to Shrewsbury, I'd signed like an 18 month contract. And I think I'd, I'd done reasonably well and probably looking to step up again. You know, in, in your own eyes, you're thinking as you're progressing, you're looking to step up. Is this as the season's finished now? The season's finished. Yeah. Yeah, and by this time, Aza Hartford's my manager. Right. Aza, Aza was player coach under Ian. Ian had finished and Aza Hartford had, had got the job. So, I mean, they had offered me a, a good contract. You know, a new two-year contract to stay there, but I think it's one of them where you just sort of test the waters, don't you, to see what's out there, or yeah. to, you know, to see what's happening. And there was talk of a few clubs, and by this time, when Ian had left Shrewsbury, he had now gone to Millwall with Bruce Rear, 
as assistant manager and I was supposed to go there. Right. They'd been in touch with me and Millwall was the place that I was I was gonna go. And out of the blue, a phone call. I got called in to the club. Ace Arthur called me in and he said, Sam Ellis has been on the phone. I didn't know who Sam was at that time. He says uh, he wants you to go through and speak to him. Buddy manager. He went, just go through. Don't just discard it. Go through and have a chat with him and see what's mm. on offer. Just see how you get on. Yeah. Whatever. I went, all right. So I went through. Sam came in, got to the ground, in his office. He went, right, what do you want? You called what, me. What are you looking for? No, I don't mean that. How much money do you want? What are you looking for? What's wow. your package? What do you want? Really? Like that, right? There wasn't even any an intro, that really. Changes, it was, it was a case of just, bit, what do you it? want? And I went, it, well, no, it wasn't that. And I, I wasn't prepared for that because I thought okay. he was going to do it. Oh, how are you doing? What's your plans? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Taking it slowly. Yeah. He went, but right, what do you want? I went, and I was no agent, nothing else. So anyway, I just gave him a figure. Uh, I probably should ask for more now, <laughs> thinking back on it. But I gave him a figure, Evan Nelson. He went, all right. He got up, shoot my hands out. He goes, I'll be back in touch within 24 hours. Right? I went, all right. So then I was kind of ushered out of the office. I'd spent a total of five minutes there, right? So my brother had drove me up as well. So we got back in the car and he's driving me back to, to Shrewsbury. I arrived back in Shrewsbury and he had been on the phone. He had left a message, he'd been on the phone, sent me, come back up the next day. So anyway, drove back up the next day, walked in and it was there. It was, and he had all the forms there. Evan was all done, right? And his eyes, Evan, I hadn't even spoke to him about anything. I hadn't spoken about the football side of things. I hadn't spoken about anything. More of a business transaction than a, a football transfer. Oh, listen, the big man, he was very persuasive, let's say. But <laughs> no, he was just assuming, you know. But anyway, I was there. And I was like, I signed it. And I don't know, but I, I came out and we're driving back to, to Shrewsbury and I think, I don't know what I've just done. You know what I mean? I hadn't mm. taken long enough to... You're not taking to register and asked, no. asked any questions no, of your own. Not at all. Just so that was it. Uh, what was the backlash like from Millwall then, if you were expected to sign? Well, because obviously you went on to yeah, play. So yeah, well, it wasn't too good initially because I know I know the boss. I know like Ian. Ian had been on the phone saying, "What have you done? Why did you do that?" And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> "Do you know? It was one of them." But I mean, the boss. I know the boss wasn't happy. Uh, Cut a long story short, we start of the season at Bury. Uh, things things are going reasonably well to start with. And they had an investor at that time that was putting a lot of money into the football club. But if I say from the day I walked in to towards the end, which we were only talking about six months later, when I walked in, they, they, they had money, they had, you know, things were going well in the football club on the face of it but the day or towards the end when he couldn't get a pair of laces out of the place you know it turned so badly and in the end they had to before the transfer deadline day the old transfer deadline day they had to sell six players to sustain business or else they were going to go bust wow so it was a pretty short lived spell it very rarely because of factors that were out of your control well the other thing was Back in them day, the, the contract they had given me. I think once I once I hit ten goals, I was due a bonus. 
and it's no secret I was on nine and they wouldn't play me again <laughs> so, yeah, so you do hear stories about yeah, that even till yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they wouldn't play me again because they couldn't take the, the risk of me scoring a goal so that was it once I got to nine goals that was me done well you said that about the investor <coughs> and how he, you said what do you want yep. he said he gave you the contract that you'd, you'd probably given a number and you could have gone higher yep. once that money's gone I'm guessing he's done that to four five like you said for yeah. six players well they had obviously thrown everything at promotion trying to get promotion and they were in the shake up before this unravelled division was that in <sighs> league one to get into the to get into the championship, championship yeah. so but when it unravelled it unravelled very quickly I think as we know beyond recent history here yeah. what, what's happened but the uh, I think when you when you do look at it to sell I mean it was extreme to sell six of us you know when I when I go through the six I mean, David Lee left for Southampton I think for about 200 maybe 300,000 something like that Andy Hill who was a great right back at the time we went to Man City Bolton signed Tony Cunningham and Mark Patterson uh, I went to Millwall I forget who the other one was but there were six anyway that I had to sell you're losing your starting line up there now. well a lot of experience there mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of good players there and yeah it devastated them because they've, they'd gone from the verge of promotion obviously to just being a, an average side mm. but during your time at Bury I'm informed that you scored a hat-trick at Burnden so that's obviously the first glimpse of Bolton that Bolton fans will have got of obviously the future striker the hat-trick that, that you want to forget really yeah yeah I mean it does I mean I think some tongue-in-cheek I think some people mention it sometimes and saying yeah do you know what that was the first time they'd seen us but I think you know, more so for David Lee you know David Lee when he played for Bury terrorised Bolton for a few years he really did hmm. so David was always the, the one that was a sort of a thorn in Bolton's side you know so I think you know and it's funny how, you know, how paths are taken because you know I've gone to Millwall David's gone to Southampton yet I then signed for Bolton the following season and David was like three weeks behind me it's mad isn't it you know so it just shows you that you know, people think, are always watching well not just always watching I think you know that it, at that time we weren't as bad as a position as we're in now financially but money was really tight mm. you know and it took time I mean when <clears throat> when the boss and Ian McNeil had been in touch when the boss had left Bolton and came here, sorry, left Millwall and came here, I'd been speaking to them, and I was meant to come at the end, you know, when it took them until the 30th of September to raise the money. Wow. So it was always about just, you know, raising the money to get there, and, and but the boss, I think that some of the, some of the, the recruitment was fantastic because money couldn't be wasted. You know, and the players that they brought in, and it was bit by bit, similar to what we have to do now as a mm -hmm. club is to build it it's blocks isn't it mm -hmm. and I think then you know what I mean that was when looking back on it September the 30th 1992 that was the day I signed here obviously you signed from from Millwall we've not touched on your time at Millwall so much what what was it like down there I mean obviously we spoke to obviously a teammate <coughs> of yours there and here Keith Brannigan yep about the fans down there at what is now the old den yeah what was it like oh, they, were, they were a tough crowd they were uh, do you know going well fantastic 
I mean, they were intimidating. But if, they, if you weren't doing well as a team, they were as bad to use as they were the away team. You know, they were really... Expecting. They were, they were very expectant. The expectation levels were there, you know. But for me personally, I mean, I think that was the time where... That was my first time working under Bruce. So the boss took me in, gave me discipline that I didn't have before, put me on the right track. And I probably, that was the first time really I had acted probably as a professional properly, if I'm, if I'm telling the truth. You know, because he was, he was good for me. He was really good for me. And not just him, actual players that I learned off. You know, I went, when I went to Millwall, Teddy Sheringham was the main striker and he was unbelievable. You know, he is, when I saw what he did in training and not just in training, afterwards, going out on his own and, and working on stuff. Yeah, extras, and, and, yeah. and you could see, you know, his first touch is fantastic. He's finishing his volleys, how, he, how clean he, he strike the ball, you know, things like, you're just watching him. And what happened was, you know, people started to go out doing extras themselves as well so it was infectious and it, and, it, and it spread you know but I think for me that that was a big turning point for me a competition aspect as well because obviously it's yeah. your position fighting <coughs> for places well you, going at that time Mark Falco Tottenham Hotspur England striker uh, Terry Sheringham uh, Malcolm Allen Newcastle mm. Wales Great striker, a couple of young strikers, and John Goodman was coming through. He was he was doing really well, and Chris Armstrong, who played for England as well, was a striker there, who went on to play for Tottenham, etc. Mm -hmm. So, the striking positions there were, I mean, it was really like really competitive. I mean, if you did get a shirt and you got in the team, you had to perform, or else you were out because you knew somebody was itching at the bit to get in, you know. So, it was good, and and the boss again was was good with me and. Again, I, I was what was needed at the time for me. Were teams set up to sort of go about things in an intimidating way at Millwall, or was it? Did did Bruce Rehab just sort of implement his own tactics and things, or was sort of an expectation from the fans of the way that the team was supposed to play? The expectations were. I mean, I think everybody knows there's no secret Millwall, as a support, are quite rough and ready. Again, you know, most of them are historically Dockers and, and everything else, South East London. And I think the motto is, and not too different from here, the motto is, you know, a working class club that work hard, they pay good money to come to a game and they expect to see their players rolling their sleeves up and putting a shift in. And, you know, Bruce has gone in with his style of play added to the physical side as well. And it was it was well received. And then obviously you moved to Bolton. Yeah. Did you come to Bolton before Bruce or did Bruce fetch no, you? Bruce fetch you up here, yeah. Bruce brought me. When Bruce left, Bruce came here with Ian. And again, so they were in touch in the summer. And again it so it took them all summer into September to raise the money. Uh, and it wasn't a great deal of money, but at that time, like we said, things were tight at the club. Every penny was was, was counted for. And uh, but I'd been waiting. <laughs> Truth be known. Bag was packed in the car, ready for that phone call, and I was, I was gone, you know. And that was the case, you know. And in fact, when I did get the call and I drove up to Bolton, 
they put me in the pack horse which was a, uh, an hotel in the middle of the town went to the club the next morning went in and the, and the boss and I'd gone in to see him it was great to see him again never else I took quite a considerable pay cut to come to Bolton and I lost my club car as well so there was different things in there but the boss was brilliant he said look you trust me don't you I said 100% of course I do sign that and, and we'll get it sorted as we go well, that's why I didn't even look at it I didn't even know at that time I didn't even look at it and that was God's honest truth and didn't know what I was getting but I had my full trust in him was he the main thing obviously you said that that he had the full trust but was it also the opportunity to be playing every week he said right you're going to be my man <coughs> because of the amount, amount of, sort of because you said how, how tight the money was mm-hmm. and how much they've put invested into you they're like right you are our guy well, no, because I think you're still coming in an environment whereas you've got to earn your place, haven't you? There's no there's no place guaranteed. There's no place guaranteed at any football club, or shouldn't be. But having worked for Bruce and having or having seen the way he worked and the way he played, I knew it suited me. The opportunity to come to the club, which I had played for Shrewsbury against at the old Burnham Park, and I'm not, and this isn't, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's not really. After the game, I'm getting on the bus and we're waiting on the bus leaving. And Davy Moyes was my teammate at Shrewsbury. And I said to Davy at the time, I said, I'd like to play here, you know. There was just a feel about the place and, and there was an aura about the place. You know, we were traditional ground. There was a decent crowd, but it was a proper football club. So, again, when Bruce had come here and I'd got the opportunity, they didn't even have to think about it. And it wasn't about money, it wasn't about anything else, it was about the football club and about Bruce. What was it like, Burnham Packs, obviously myself and Mikey, not had the opportunity to go? Well, early on, obviously, the club weren't in the best state uh, when, we, when we, we first came in, but it grew. You know, I think, I think that probably they were averaging about five and a half, six thousand when we first came in. Getting towards the end of that season, it was a full house. You know, 21,000, 21,500, and, and the place is rocking. I mean, it, it, honestly. Proper it's old fashioned Proper old fashioned yeah. ground, you know, where you're like yeah, that, yeah. and if somebody moves, you've got to move the same way, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? And But the atmosphere, you know, and especially, a, you know, a midweek game under the lights, a cup game or, or whatever, phenomenal. And as, as the club grew, as the results got better, the, the atmosphere, the, the the town, the town grew, the town was buzzing. Mm. At that time, I mean, the place was jumping. You know, people just couldn't get enough of the football club. And, you know, in many respects, you know, and I know a lot of people now keep, you know, why do we hark back to the old days? Why do we talk about the White Hot Nights? Why do we do this? Why? Well, it's because it's what keeps us going. You know, in the circumstances where we've been as a football club recently, that's what keeps us going because we turned it around then we had bad days then, we were in League Two then, we were nearly going out of business then, but we turned it round. So it'll happen again. And we can, it's a cycle. Yeah, you, know, you have exactly. your good times, you have it's your bad about. times. And, you know, we've had some horrendous times recently, but I think that's what keeps us going when we look back and see what we achieved then. We can do it again. Mm, I agree. No question. Completely agree. And obviously, you're after, not long after signing for Bolton, it was pretty successful time for the club sort of in the first year really was it promotion in the first season to what is now the championship well we came in and you know the, the boss had to juggle things about because the, 
I mean, he had, they had two strikers at this football club that were very successful at that time, David, Le- David Reeves and Tony Phyllis-Kirk. And they had a great partnership and they had scored buckets of goals at this level, you know, and were very well thought of by the supporters and the town and everything else at the football club. And, you know, it was a tough, probably a tough decision for the, for the boss to, to sort of break that partnership up. But Andy Walker was here on loan at the time and bringing myself in and myself and Andy seemed to click straight away. You know, so we were very fortunate that we didn't have to work at it, it just happened. You know, we both worked hard for each other uh, and the team, you know, the team supplying chances for us and everything else, putting them on our plates, but, you know, it was a proper team effort. In the dressing room, we went out, we all went out together, we socialised together, proper, proper team. Why did that partnership click? Because it was some partnership, wasn't it? Yeah. I just think we complimented each other, really. You know, I think Andy... Andy was the guy that would probably drop a little bit shorter at times, link with the midfield, bring people into play. I was that second ball in behind. I was probably the physical side of the partnership. Uh, But if he scored, or I scored, or we both scored in the same game, it was either or. It didn't make any difference to us. We were both happy for the other one to score, if that makes sense. You know, because we created a lot of things amongst ourselves, but when you've got people like David Lee on, on one side, Mark Patterson on the other wing, or, or Alan Thompson later on in the other wing, and firing crosses in, it wasn't such a worry if you missed a chance, because you knew you would get one, mm. you know, three or four minutes later, maybe earlier, but just a total team effort. What was what was it like, sort of, being in the change room at that time? Because obviously we, we've seen first-hand your relationship with Tony Kelly, yeah. you can sort of see... You, you look at you both and you can kind of just see sort of two two footballers in the relationship that two teammates have yeah. and I imagine there was a lot more of those sort of relationships in that dressing room do you know what and I, again you, you think back and I, I think the longer especially now you're finished playing you miss these guys and we don't see enough of each other and we bump into each other every now and then, or if there's a function that people are invited to, a dinner or whatever, you bump into them, or you might bump into them at a game. But you're so glad to see each other. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like, you do genuinely miss them. Really and, nice memories as well. And, and because everybody, you know, football's a, it's a tough sport really, because a lot of people then maybe retire and go back home to where they came from. And so people are really split up. And there's only certain few that have stayed in the town. Obviously, myself and Tony have got a really close uh, relationship, as David as well, David Lee as well, with the three of us. I think it was, everybody calls us the three amigos, you know what I mean? Because everything, the charity stuff and everything else we do, we, we pretty much do it together, you know? But the, the guys in the dressing room then, it was a joy to be in. You know, there's not many jobs where you can, you can genuinely say, you can't wait to get in the next morning hear the stories, hear what went on, and to hear what's going on, you know what I mean? And and the banter was unbelievable. And I know, listen... It's a big I, thing, that, isn't it? It's it is, because of that togetherness, yeah. it brings everybody yeah. together, you know? We we went to the horse racing, we played golf, we, whatever we did, we all did it together, we all went. You know what I mean? There's no point in going out in threes and fours and, you know, do I'll do this, you do that, and no, we did everything together. You know, and, and Phil Brown was the captain at the time. Phil Brown was, he was a huge part of that, you know, because 
he made sure that everybody did it. You know, everybody was there. You know, you weren't allowed to not be there, and that has to be the way. You're in it together because when you're two 0 down in a game, people is going to dig you out. People's going to help you when you're together. Yeah, that's what you, it's only really determination, team spirit that's going to get you a result in that game at two 0 down, isn't it? And we did that many, many times. Yeah. When we were down and out, and people thought we were down and out, we came back and we got a result or we got something out of the game, mm. and it was simply because we didn't want to let each other down. You talk about the dressing room, and you said that like Phil Brown there, but so you could say like a dressing room general. Yep. Did you have like groups of people who like you knew right they're going to run the dressing room some days, or like say the bits of banter going around? You had your characters there for sure. Experience was in the dressing room, and I think the boss and latterly Colin Todd were quite cute as well because they always seemed to give us a couple of minutes, say at half time, and we would sort our own problems out at times. Mm. Uh, and don't get me wrong, no, it was one of them where you could never take it personal. But there was times where people were, you had to get people by the by the scruff of the neck and had to have a word and, you know, to, to shake them a little bit. But it needs doing. But nobody ever took it to the extent where oh, it, was a, it was a personal thing. Well, it, was it was just that week. Body, yeah. Because it might be me this week that's struggling. I need everybody's help to get me out of that. And it's somebody else next week. Absolutely. You know, so if everybody gets around and helps each other, that person next week at struggling they'll get helped as well yeah and the the big thing and that's even in today's modern football you might go out there and your touch might be off you might for some reason not you just not feel right that day or, or you can't get into the game or, or the game just seems to bypass you that's fine but there's no excuse for not giving 100% work rate there's no excuse for not at least occupying another player and that's how you get respect from your teammates because they know you're not having a good day, but you're still putting a shift in. Yeah, that's a minimum requirement, isn't exactly. it? Really? Like, even if things aren't going your way, you put a shift in. And There's the no skill required for that. No, that's it. The fans are off the <coughs> fans are stood up clapping big tackles and stuff like that, and and things where just a bit of work rate is required. Do you know what? In games when they're tight and when they're like that, a tackle makes all the difference because yeah. it gets. As you say, it gets the fans then involved yeah. in the game. Yeah. They've nothing to cheer about. That tackle now changes the course of the game. It changes the whole atmosphere in the dressing room. You know, it might be a pass. Mm. Maybe somebody winning a header, winning an aerial challenge. And pretty soon in your time uh, with Bolton, the white hot night. Yeah. So we'll obviously have a chat about that. <coughs> what are your sort of memories that stick with you from that night? Well... Personally, night. Uh, it was an unbelievable <laughs> night. Yeah, probably the, the best night of my life, actually. That one, uh, for many different aspects. You look at it; we'd been struggling for a long time as a football club. That night put us back on the map, in my eyes, because we got national exposure. We were the only game really that night. It was an FA Cup replay, obviously, and you know the first game at Burnden Park, we were two 0 up against Liverpool. They came back in the second half, scored two goals, 2-2. Two -two. Famously, Graham Soonis gets interviewed on the touchline at Burnden Park. He does big black fur coat on, you know what I mean? And he said, that's a hard work done. We'll get them back to Anfield now. We'll put things right. So that was like a red rag to a bull, yeah. to be honest with you. And the boss used that. But for me personally, I mean, I grew up, Kenny Deglish was my idol. He was my king. He was everything. I mean, mm -hmm. he was... He still is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Douglas, because of that, Liverpool were always my my English team. 
you know what I mean, my favourite English team because, because of him. So to actually walk into Anfield, first thing, go and touch the sign. <laughs> then, into the dressing room. And we were all the same because, I mean, you think about it, League One players going to Anfield, who are the reigning champions, are the cup holders. Mm. So you're going in there and in the dressing room, you're going to walk on Anfield, you look around the place and it just looks massive. Do you know what I mean? And the boss, everybody's running about, it's excited, we're, we're all doing this and that and the other, do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, right, I need to get something as a memento, so I'm, I'm trying to nick a coat hanger or something or, or something <laughs> out of the dressing room, do you know what I mean? Just for something to have that I can say I've been, because I'll never come back here. Yeah, I don't really blame you. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking myself, I'll never come back here, so I've got to get something to say, at least I played there and there you go, look, that's the coat hanger, I've hung my shirt on, whatever. And I think the boss let us run about for about 10 minutes or so, and then bang, right, sit down. Business time. Business time, da da da, and that was it. And the boss had, I hope he doesn't watch this, but the boss had this way, right, and you always knew when you when you pushed him far enough or when he was about to explode, he would like, he would move his neck like that, right? And he would, and once he did that, it was like, don't get any eye contact. He was look at the floor, don't get any eye contact. Do you know what I mean? So once you see him do that, it was like, right, set up now, set up straight and that yeah. was it. So, and that was that was the end of the, you know, you let you have your 10 minutes and I would sit down, right, here we go, bang, that was it. And then from then on then it was focus. Must have been special to score as well, obviously yeah. an unbelievable <laughs> assist I might add by your mate David Lee. Some ball. Yeah. Do you know that night? that night I mean single handedly I know my, myself and Andy scored the goals right and to many you know, probably it looks like me and Andy get the headlines because we scored this that and the other but David Lee that night was unplayable and totally unplayable that's the best live performance I've seen of a player over 90 minutes he was just sensational and they you know at that time they had the England right back Rob Jones they had I can't remember the other player they had a full back he absolutely shredded the two of them. And they kept changing them over. And, you know, chance after chance. I mean, for himself as well. I mean, a little bit, if he had been a little bit probably level-headed in the box now, he'd have probably got two or three goals himself that mm. night. But the opportunities he was creating, and just the, he was just causing them havoc every time he got the ball. And, of course, Tony didn't even need to look. Every time Tony got the ball... David Lee, he feed him. He was gave it to David Lee, wasn't he? Feed him all the yeah. time, and he was just putting it down David Lee's neck all the time. And David Lee would then go and beat four or five players. That was it. But nine and a half thousand Bolton fans there that night. Now the atmosphere was absolutely. I mean, the place was just lifting the roof off. You know, my mom and dad were there. That was an added bonus. A lot of my family were there. You know, and it was like a dream come true. And. The second goal goes in, Andy's great header, finishes the game off, kills it. Final whistle goes, of course we're all down behind the goal celebrating with our fans and everybody's there and it's just absolutely phenomenal. We're probably there for a couple of minutes and then all of a sudden somebody tapped into the shoulder, turned round, the whole of the cop's still there. They hadn't moved, they stayed. They're, honest to God, the whole of the cop has stayed. Wow. Nobody's, normally they're all gone, isn't they? Yeah, all the yeah. teams beat them, yeah, off they go. It's like, oh, sack the manager, yeah, yeah. it's embarrassing, everyone yeah. else, do you know what I mean? They stayed. The whole cop had stayed, I swear to you, they stayed. So we turned around from our fans, we started walking back towards the halfway line, and they, they started applauding us. Wow. And even, honestly, when the hairs back of my nurse, 
standing up now because it's like that to me that was just the icing on the cake ultimate recognition of your performance ultimate recognition mm-hmm. and respect for them to stay and clap us and applaud us in the way we played because most lower league sides would go there and physically try to probably kick them off the park you know and try to say right stop them playing that never ever came into it with Bruce Bruce had our way of playing and that was it football versus and it was football. passing move passing move passing yeah. move you know and when you look at the players in their team John Barnes Rush etc off good football players all can Jamie Redknapp who was a young boy at the time but a hell of a player now passing move that was Bruce no, no worry about this worry about that because they're the bigger team they're the more established better players everything else no you play your football this is the way we play but in the manner we played in that game and everything but to see the cop applaud us off the park is just yeah phenomenal forever living your memory yeah. uh, Mike Marsh was the Mike uh, Marsh was the other one David Lee yeah. terrorised uh, Mike really Marsh pulled the shorts off David Lee at one point <laughs> seriously at one point he, had, he was standing in his underpants <laughs> in the middle of the park <laughs> because Mike Marsh had a handful of his shorts as he's ran past them yeah. apologies to you good Mark. quick googling there Mikey no problem there um so you, you mentioned about the Liverpool fans yeah. giving you credit, the people who were in the cop that night. Were there any of sort of their players or staff that w- that came in and yeah. sort of commended yeah. you? We uh, we got on the bus. Their players were quickly off the park, by the way. Sunis was was raging. I mean, he was raging at the time. I mean, he was painting the walls with them. Because as we walked into the dressing room after we had done all our bits, you could hear him in there. I mean, he was going berserk. And later on after that, as we've got on the bus, people were popping in. I remember Bruce Grobelard had popped. He said, he said boys, brilliant, well done. Mm-hmm. Applauded as everyone else. Congratulations. Yeah, their players were complimentary towards us. I bet Tony Kelly was pleased that night. Cause he's an Evertonian, isn't he? Do you know, it was Tony, probably Alan Stubbs, uh, as a young boy, playing at uh, Maketeer as a young boy there, involved in the squad as well. These boys, because they they were scousers, mm. it obviously means more to them, yeah, you know. Of course. I mean, Tony, forgive me, you probably forgive me for saying it now and stuff. Both were Everton supporters growing up, so so I think it was a little bit special for them to. And Tony got released from Liverpool as well, so going back, of he did, yeah, and and sort of proving a point, yeah, to a certain extent, but going back and probably to himself, yeah, proving a point to himself and yeah. saying, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I am good I enough. I can't play against I can't play. Boys, yeah. Um, what was it like then working under Bruce Rioch in general? No, we'll, we'll keep talking about your time at Ball, yeah. your time under Bruce. But what what was it like? Why was he different to, to other managers? The common theme we hear is that he's a disciplinarian. Yeah, we've heard he that will, from Kells, haven't we? Yeah, that he will. Uh, if you need the time off, he'll give it you. Yep. But you better work your ass off yep. for him. Uh, very family orientated. Like you said, if you, if anything to do with the family needed anything or whatever, yep, without doubt. Uh, strict to a point where listen footballers always try to take shortcuts they always try to probably have a laugh maybe when they shouldn't or whatever you knew when you could have a laugh at the right time with the boss and you knew when you couldn't and that's not a bad thing you know because end of the day it's all about winning football matches and, and, and trying to get as much success for the football club as you can and that's what the supporters feed off but he he was also a very clever man 
and also love this football club. You know, you go back to when we had these cup runs, you know, and when you think about the, the FA Cup in January and everything else, you know, when the ice snows about and everything, we had supporters that were, I'm not kidding you, the, the queues were like half a mile long outside the ground waiting for tickets for these FA Cup games because they didn't want to miss it. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it, so after we finished training, we'd come back, the boss, right, get in there. You'd see them all standing out in the snow. They're out in the snow in the ice, raining, sleet, everything. We come in from training, don't get changed, don't get showered, get in there, find every big teapot you can find and make tea and get out to the, uh, your supporters. So we were all in there, cups, big tea, but you know, all the stuff, making big pots of tea and everything else and got out and served them to all the people who were waiting in the queues. And it's, it's, it's probably long after you think, hey, we did that, did that. Yeah, but you think about it. That's what brought us all together. Because as supporters out there, standing in all weathers to buy tickets to see us and not wanting to miss the games, so they had to make sure they were in the queue, we're out giving them hot drinks, looking after them. Absolutely. It's yeah. there. Do you know? And togetherness. It's togetherness. It goes both ways. It's not just coming, them handing their money over, getting a ticket and being at the game and cheering. They're actually seeing something back from the players. Of course, yeah. I mean, in a working class town Sorry. like Bolton, you know, you can name, there's tons of towns <coughs> and cities you can name where, you know, that's so important. That's so, such an important dynamic. Well, again, and, and no big time Charlies in the dressing room because they wouldn't be allowed. If you came in that dressing room as a big time Charlie, you wouldn't walk out as one. Simple as. You wouldn't last five minutes. It was a togetherness. And do you know the boss, obviously, in them days, the manager ran the football club from top to bottom, no doubt. The tea lady, to the cleaner, to the kit man, whoever, to the players, all got treated the same. All got, uh, all got treated the same, no question. Speak to them like you'd like to be spoken to and treat them like you'd like to be treated. And that was the, the, the motto within the club. Love that. Liverpool spoke about Whitehall, 94, 95. Yep. League Cup final yep. coming up against them again obviously the result didn't go our way no. on that day but how was that? Another big occasion uh, because obviously going to Wembley for the first time I'd been there watching Scotland-England games uh, but that's the only time I'd been there so obviously to go there as a player it was something different and it was it was a real it was an occasion that sort of just flew by you know what I mean there was a lot of it was a blur now, like the build-up and things like that, I can't remember half of it because it just seemed to be just just fly past. But the game itself, we we did okay. You know, we we. I mean, Alan Thompson scores an unbelievable volley. I mean, it's a it's a. That's a We watched that recently in the archives. That's a. But also, David record. James pulls off a save before he scores. I think you know a fingertip top corner job just over the bar you know if that goes in it's a different game there's also another one I think where he's not actually looking at play he's trying to come back and he's managed to hit it off his back and it's gone and it's gone out, out for the corner yeah. so we had opportunities uh, in the end the difference between the two teams was Steve McManaman on the day he was exceptional I mean he gave Scott Green he, gave, he tore Scott Green inside out for 45 minutes in the first half and culminating in, in Goodney Bertson coming on at half time for his debut for the club 
No pressure. No pressure. No, you're not wrong there. But I mean, Goodney did well. He, he sort of stifled uh, McManaman for the rest of the game. But McManaman for that first 45 minutes was was just out of this world, and he was a difference in winning the game. But then, obviously, the season ended the way we wanted it to end. The, the win against Reading. I mean, that is an well, unbelievable game. That isn't it. Well, a couple of months later, we've gone back to Wembley for the the playoff final against Reading, and looking back on it now probably that cup final against Liverpool stood us in good stead yeah like a dress because if we had gone there in the Ren game for the first time yeah we might have been overawed we might have been you know, we might have froze in fact we did freeze we froze for the first half an hour mm. but <laughs> that's a different story uh, so no I think that stood us in good stead and, and going you know go, going back to, to Reading they've come out the traps like Brazil we could, said exactly the same thing, didn't he? We could not get near them. Honest, for all the will in the world, their one-touch play, it was like pop, 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 and we were on the way in to close somebody down and already bumped it off gone, and yeah. they were gone. And honestly, it wasn't with a want to try and it wasn't for any other reason, they were just brilliant. And we could not get within a yard of them. And some of their play was just outstanding. Now, obviously they've gone 2-0 up, and didn't matter what we tried, it, nothing was coming off for us. Just nothing whatsoever was coming off for us. We, would, we couldn't string two passes together, if we're honest. And then, obviously, they got a penalty. McAteer's tracking back, I think, and he's tipped the boy up, and, he, and he's given him a penalty. And we thought, oh, here we go. Now, 2-0, get a goal back, and you're back in the game, you've got Pretty a chance. 3-0, done and dusty. We may as well go home, mm. you know. So, they get the penalty. And Keith, pff, unbelievable. And he was, he, I mean, as a short stopper, phenomenal. Best goalkeeper I've ever worked with. Overall, best, I mean, best goalkeeper. As a person and everything else that goes with it. But he, but him saving that penalty gave us the lift and actually turned the game. Because they are now deflated. Although 2-0 up, they're deflated because they've lost the penalty. Knowing that, the third goal kills the game. Yeah. So in their heads now, they've lost that opportunity. Fans are right behind you as well. Fans now, when Keith saved that, right, now our fans have got a lift. So the flags are up, everybody's going daft, did it, did it, and fine. We've now got in the game. We've now started to get forward. We've now started to get our passes off and keep a little bit of possession. And as soon as we know it, half-time whistle. So I've gone to the boys, right, sprint off the pitch. Sprint off. So we've all sprinted off the pitch, down the, the driveway, because it used to be a big like driveway down, in the dressing room, gone in, and everybody's gone daft. Because we know we've got two or three minutes before the boss and that comes in. So it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. And you're going to get close to him, you're going to get attacked. You know, you're going to keep the ball, you're going to keep giving that away, do you know what I mean? So we're yeah, all going yeah. around, and that's it. So then the boss comes in, right? And we're, by this time, we're all sat back down, door opens, and everybody's sitting up straight, looking right, boss comes in expecting to wipe the walls with us, you know what I mean? No, dead cool, comes in, goes there. Uh, 2-0 down, you've 45 minutes to put it right. You've worked so hard this season. The football you've played this season has been phenomenal. You've done everything more than expected this season. Are we going to throw away? You know what I mean? Or are we really going to go out there the second half, impose ourselves on the game and do what we should be doing? And he was dead cool and clear and it was like, you know what I mean? We were all expecting to get the 
the worst the hairdryer treatment and we didn't and it was great so back out second half and that was it we, we got ourselves back in the game uh, we know Coyle scored a, a fantastic header at the back post to get us 2-1 and then Fabian breaks through you know what I mean with, with the ball on and he's finished it right and the coach stayed in the stanchion he's, he's it's a great finish 2-2 and we knew then where we had it at 2-2 we knew we had it because we were on the ascendancy and they were they were dipping it's right. like you've got the second wind we've got well they're just now deflated and so disappointed they, they couldn't hang on chance, they? They, and to they missed it. the penalty they couldn't hang on to the 90 minutes and get the game over we're now on top and then we've, we've ran riot in, in, in overtime and in extra time we've ran riot finished the game and then even then Jimmy Quinn takes himself off the bench what a goal he scored! I mean, it's never mentioned. It's yeah. a bull. I mean, it's, it must have been about 150 mile an hour, didn't it? Brandy, I tell you, Brandy's went. Never even saw it. Manager wasn't it? Never saw it. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was such a clean hit. Top. You couldn't get any further into the top corner. And but that was the last kick of the game, essentially. You know. So we've come off there, and do you know that day? I think there's an interview that, that's that's on YouTube or something somewhere where. Dave Higson's on the park, myself and Owen Coyle's there with Sarnat. And Sarnat was crying, you know what I mean? He was like, just, you've, do you know what? You've never seen a man so happy as to when this football club, when it was doing well, Sarnat's face, beaming. Do you know what I mean? And, and like, he's there and just enjoying it. And then he, you could see, he's just the happiest man in the world, you know what I mean? He's giving us big kisses in the cheek and all that while we're on the park, you know? And, no. That was, was he? Was he a person that who was fantastic to have around oh. the club? I mean, he is Mr. Bolton Wanderers. There's no denying that. But to have around the club at that time must have. If you ever you talk about the dressing room, never got out of line. Mikey. But he would have been there, I imagine. Mikey, I'm not kidding you. It's, do you know? For a man that did so much, he was so humble. Right? Never spoke about himself. Never. Never mentioned himself. Never. No. He was. He always came across that like he was more interested in you, and he was genuinely. You know what I mean? Could he help you? And you could speak to many, many players. He would. He was always there. You saw him every day. And it was a case of if you were having a hard time, he'd put the arm round you and take for a little walk around the pitch. And he was like, oh, "Come on, cocker! You know, just keep going. Keep the things will come right. Don't be worrying. You know, if you hadn't been scoring or whatever, you know what I mean? You would say, come on.'" Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you don't mean. Keep doing. It was just unbelievable, and I think as a focal point for the football club, he was, and always will be. Not just was, always will be. You know what I mean? Not, there's only one. I mean, people talk about legends. They talk about this and they talk about that. We've got one legend, and that's him. The rest of us all have all done a good job to a certain extent, never else, right? But he's. He's the man. He's the, the the focal point of this football club and always will be. But he was such a gentleman. You know, a humble, humble man that just wanted Bolton Wanderers Football Club to do well. And he's like, yeah. First promotion to the Premier League. He must have been buzzing with that. I mean, everyone must have been buzzing with that. The town, <coughs> the players, yeah. the manager, everybody. It must have been some day of that. It was, and and some party, and yeah, some, some parties. Yeah, parties were phenomenal. I mean, they went on, <laughs> they went on for a long time. But uh, do you know, looking back on it, we probably weren't ready for it. 
and you know, losing did we lose Bruce just lost Bruce we well. Uh, well, lost Bruce after the playoff final yeah to Arsenal and went to Arsenal initially we had Colin Todd and Roy McFarlane as joint managers yeah. and in my own personal opinion it never worked you know Roy was a lovely man he was a, he was a real good man Colin the same they, they both were ex-teammates played with each other at Derby County and everything else so they obviously got on well together but there was a thing you know I think you need a defining number one yeah. it's difficult because I was club captain at that time and players uh, players would come to me and say well, who do we go and speak to because if you yeah, went to yeah. one it looked like you're undermining the other one or yeah. the other one it looks well why's you going to him do you know what I mean and who'd you go to they, they even did them, them two <clears throat> didn't know who was the no there was no one the, making the that sort of, final decision yeah, yeah. so again as club captain you were like well who'd I go to and I was like well, <laughs> you you were getting asked questions and you didn't know the answer to it really no and and the thing being I think they were both put in a bad position now, looking back on it now yeah. hindsight's a wonderful thing but looking back on it now you would say, you know, Colin, I think, uh, obviously took over, I think it was in January maybe, Roy lost his job in January, they decided to go with Colin. And there on in, Colin did a good job, you know? So probably the question that you would ask is why probably Colin didn't get it from initially from the word go. And it would have saved all the, all the doubt really. Mm. But uh, I think that first season we went out and we lined up in a 4-5-1 formation. I played wide right for all, the whole season <laughs> of, of, of a five. And and it was basically, we just gave teams too much respect. You know, because we played, we were on the back foot. From the minute go. From the minute go. We were on the back foot. And don't get me wrong, we still had some good results here, there. and yeah. You know what I mean? But they were sporadic. You know, it wasn't really a good run, a, a consistent run. Not enough. And Is that where him and Bruce were different in terms of Colin and Bruce? So Bruce would, like with the Liverpool game, for example, mm-hmm. he had his way of playing and oh, I'm not going to show them too much about the other teams. Yeah, no, yeah, but again, it's, I think it's different. It's okay when you're maybe the number two, but when you're the number one, you're the one and then carries the can. You've got to make the decisions. And I probably feel that Colin felt we probably weren't quite good enough if that makes sense mm-hmm. and so then you take that back step don't you and to try and shore things up rather than be mm. on the front foot yeah and we did it in certain games where we went on the front foot but overall I just think it was probably a bit too soon for us just kind of we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about your relationship with Wolverhampton Wanderers John yeah what was it like especially the semi-final games uh, the second leg but what was it like you always got up for them games didn't yep. you what was it about Wolves that just I don't know made you play better speaking about this the other day weren't we well obviously I mean I think it goes back the rivalry goes back to Sir Nat's days I think with Stan Cullis and Bill accounts back to like the 50s Mm. and it started off there and I think we sort of reignited it Uh, and it's hard to fathom now because they were the first games we looked for at the start of the season do you know, and, and mm. it was they were phenomenal games, they really were. I mean, don't get me wrong, you go to Molyneux, great atmosphere. They're a great club. I've nothing, now, isn't it? Yeah. I've nothing against them as a club. Listen, the people still are on me now. <laughs> I still get absolutely pelters off them now, innit? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, I get, do you know what the funny thing is? There was, what day was it? When we, when we got relegated, uh, 
few years ago we got relegated mm-hmm. went down when the mm-hmm. first year when Neil Lennon came manager. in yeah we got relegated 15, went down 16. right well that last game when we got relegated I got burnt there you karma and all that I'm like it's 25 years ago do you know what I mean it's karma now because we got relegated and I was getting called all the names under the sun I blocked I blocked about 500 of them in one night <laughs> I was just getting abused and it was like it doesn't bother me I mean it's like but they keep it going mm. and the fans love it though don't they they do I mean and, and the thing is it's probably it probably it's a story now isn't it you know what I mean and You'd like to see them days come back because they were good days. They were proper rivalry. And that's what you want because that's what creates atmosphere within a football ground. That's what, yeah. that's what players want to play in. You look at it now, you come out. If you're coming out and, and the crowd are a bit low or a bit down and whatever, it, it, sometimes it's hard to play. But when you come out and it's electric, it triggers you, it gets you mm-hmm. going. But them days were special, they were. And I miss them. I, I do genuinely miss them. And in fact, when you think about it, we owned them at that time. Mm, no. I owned them, to be to be honest with you. Like, I owned them because put that out because they'll hate it. Right? They'll be on me again. <laughs> like, I did. Like going out in the warm-ups extra early just to get in front of the Molyneux crowd, I believe. No, there, there was a, there was a wee story behind that. I'd been struggling for a while. I had a thigh strain. Ah. And I, I'd been struggling for a while, and this was getting towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to win the gold boot as well, so I was kind of like not doing much training during the week. And the doctor was giving me injections before the game. I like a leather king sort of job with his, yeah. So this this particular time, obviously it was Wolves. The players had all gone out to warm up. I hadn't gone out with them. And all the Wolves fans thought I wasn't playing. So they were all jumping about and going, oh, nah, he's not playing and all that, right? So yeah. what happened was, the doc would put it in to me about five minutes before the kickoff, right? So I'd gone in this, this particular time. I'd gone in to get the injection. And he goes to me, he goes, I'll tell you what, go for a little jog just to get the blood flowing and everything else and I'll pop it in and then it'll take its actions yeah. quick and all that right so I went aye no worry get off the bed goes to walk out onto the pitch everybody's coming in I'm like no couldn't stay out for another five minutes there's no now there's nobody out there right so I've gone to Scott Green I said Green come on wait, no like two women going to the toilet together you yeah. know what I mean that sort of thing Greeny I says come on he went no okay, no no I said Greeny come on come back out he was like no I was like alright so Burning Park you had to go up a, like a rampant to go onto the pitch so I've gone up there gone. and as soon as I've walked up right the place has gone berserk right the, the crowd's erupted so then I, all I've done is I've done a little jog to the right down to like level with 18 yard box across the pitch back across and then work my way back in well Lofty was down in the corner just next to the Wolves fans at the time, right? So anyway, all, obviously all the Bolton fans are going daft, right? They're all singing, well, Super John and all that. So the Wolves fans are up and giving, like, spitting venom, you know? Because <laughs> at the fences, they were all over the fences now, and then Lofty got caught in the middle of it. They all started pelting Lofty with pies and everything, right? <laughs> down in the corner, right? So... You can imagine, I've ran down the tunnel, gone in, got the injection, and by this time, everybody's walking back onto the pitch for the game. But as we've walked back up, the place was electric. I mean, I'm not kidding, it's just electric. It was phenomenal. Mm. And that's, but that sets the tone for the game. Yeah, And it, and it never came down. It ne- honestly, it never came down for 90 minutes. That sets the tone for the game. Another one, I know we're jumping around a bit here, but you also played... European football with Bolton in, in a certain aspect the Anglo-Italian Anglo-Italian 
Please explain hey, that to me. He's absolute jewels. Put in my research. That, that was that was yeah that was a bit a bit strange really to start with because the Anglo Italian Cup was Championship clubs against Serie B clubs. Mm-hmm. It's the second tier in both second tier in, yeah. in Italy, but we played Ascoli, Pisa, uh, Brescia, Ancona. In fact, Georgie Hadji played for Brescia when we played against him. He was f- best back healer I've ever seen. He back healed the ball about fifty yards. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't shoot harder than he was back healing it. What an unnecessary skill that is. A record ho- home low attendance for the Brescia game, and Georgie Hadji would have potentially played that game. Was it three three? Uh, that game was. If I just momentarily scroll down, it was three three. Yeah. Good memory, John. Great memory, that. He's uh, no, he was a player. He was. What would you like to go broad though with the with the team? Like, it well, must have been a bit, I don't, a bit strange. I, I don't think the tournament was taken really seriously. Mm. If, if I'm honest with you, you scrapped eventually, wasn't it? It got scrapped yeah. eventually. I think because of what Mikey just said, they're low crowds. <laughs> no, because no, but I, I think you've got to be careful. And I think we found out with some of the cup competitions that go on now, mm-hmm. whereas yeah. when you saturate the market as such, people can't afford it. To go no, to all and, these uh, well, games. Well, and, and these games are over and above your season ticket. Yeah. You know, and again, this is a working man's town. Money's tight. Mm. You know, and if it's if then in their eyes, if it's you know not really an important game or a, a game that's maybe viewed as needless, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you said that the team weren't quite ready for the, that first season in the yep. Premier League. Came down, but then bounced back in unbelievable fashion yeah. last season. 198 was it 100 points 98 goals yeah mm-hmm. that was the best season without a doubt I mean for many different aspects as well you've got to remember it was a very emotional season being the last season at Bundon Park it was emotional because there was a lot of pressure on the players just to stop you there 100 goals 98 points I was going to correct myself yeah. I was going to correct myself before we got pelters left right and yeah. centre ourselves I've got it the wrong way around yeah <laughs> but what a season we had I mean you think about it right the the pressure to finish the season correctly we wanted to finish it and it being successful and it meant so much to people so we were carrying that pressure all the way through but again the team you could come and play us you could come and fight us come and have a go if you really yeah either way you want to fight us fight us and they tried it Wolves came and tried to fight us right Come and play would play off the park. That was you make your choice. That was what it was. Yeah. But the again, I mean the crowds were just the fans were phenomenal. I mean they really were. You couldn't get you couldn't buy a ticket for the place. You just couldn't. And nobody would miss it, you know, because they knew they were gonna miss something. But they'd run the players, they run the town. And that's what keeps me going personally. When I think of the town and how it was, you know, and uh, the place was buzzing and, you know, people going into work with their chests out and, and, do you know what I mean, happy mm-hmm. to go into work. Yeah. The place just had a different feel to it. And so now, you know, and, and ex-teammates and old players, they all came back for that last night and they were all parading around the pitch and, you know, the tears in their eyes. And you got to remember as well, it was sad because that place was a memorial to 33 people who lost their lives at a game there yeah. you know and it breaks my heart now to see I drive past it's an Asda and a line of shops there you know it, it should be more than that mm-hmm. it means more than that to the town yeah. and it's 
You know, it was first. It was a Woolworths when we when we first left. But it does. It should be more than it is, and and more should have been made of it, because that's that's a special place. Something that, to signify everything that went doubt. on there. How did you feel? How did you, not only yourself but the rest of the group yeah. and the people at the club feel about moving up here in '97 <coughs> from Burnden? It was very much a mixed emotion, because you came to this place and you saw it, and it was spectacular. I mean, it was futuristic. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the design. Even now you look at it, you don't think it's any more than 10 year old. It's not many like this one. Do you know what I mean? Honestly, God, I mean, there's nothing more impressive than you're driving down at M61 and you look at it and it just looks. And you see like the shell light. Exactly. Yeah. It does. Like, it's yeah. phenomenal. And so the foresight to, to be able to design it like this and for it to last so long and still look so modern, I think was, was, was a great move. But the downside of it was we were, we were leaving a place. A hub, a hub of the t- the heartbeat of the town, and it's no it's no coincidence. The town has taken a downward spiral since the day we left. It's mm. not the same town. It'll get back, but it's not the same town. And a lot of businesses have moved out. The you know the this businesses that surrounded the ground and in the in the local vicinity of the ground all went either bust or, or they just didn't have enough custom anymore you know and so a lot of people's lives changed through moving to here there's still a lot of people in the town that say this isn't Bolton it's Horwich there's a lot of mixed emotions out there there's many I don't positive think, negatives to oh, it of course there is there's, there's huge positives to it there's also that downside mm. and, and there's a lot of people that vowed they would never come here to a game you know, whether they have or haven't, I, I couldn't answer that, but it's sad in a, in a way, you know, and I still think we should have some sort of presence in the town as a football club. Absolutely. And we don't. And I think to, to really you know, get some, some of that side back, we need to have some sort of presence in the, in the town because I think we owe it to the town as well. We owe it to the people in the town because we're all, we're all one. Mm. But I think, I think we've got to look at as well is how hard it is for some people to come up here to get tickets and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 a, bit, it's a good bit out of their way to come up here and, and, and to get back in. So maybe if we did have a place in the town, we, we could connect a bit better mm-hmm. with, with people. So it was one of them where, as, as well as the transport and stuff like that, where it was difficult for people in the actual town centre itself to get to. But also, if you think of where Burnham was, You've got all of the pubs going into the town yeah. town centre where everyone went after a game. I'd imagine <coughs> now here it's a bit secluded in itself. Yeah. But then you turn it on its head and say, "Was Burnham Park sustainable as a, an entity?" And well, in terms of the financial side of things yeah. for a club, maybe not. It's hard to say, Mikey, because when they actually demolished the ground, you actually saw the size of the area, and when you look at what they've put up now, and there's still that huge car park and everyone else yeah. there. Something could have been done there, but like you said, I mean, uh, would you get something like this there? Probably not. We could have maybe turned it around. It would have, it would have probably been too much. You know, what I mean, I think, I think your heart's ruling your head when you're saying we should have stayed there mm-hmm. because of when. Yeah, I'm only, I'm only talking through experience, and I know what like it was to play there, and I know yeah, what like the atmosphere was. Like yourself, Do you know what yeah. I mean? But like you said, on a Saturday. There was no better sight. I'm not kidding. You would be driving into the game. They'd be walking down in mass in thousands from the town. 
because they would obviously drink in the town and they'd start walking down Manchester Road to the game and they would take you you had to get there early because if you you get stuck in the crowds and everything trying to get in it was but the intimidation factor as well of course it was yeah without doubt and again that's what keeps you going now in in the current climate and in the current days now that's what keeps you going because we can get that back we can and you obviously scored two goals in the final game yeah. against Charlton. I mean, obviously we've heard of what heard what Burnham means to you. It must have been special for you mm-hmm. to score that day. Do you know, so not that week, he wanted me to score the last goals or the last goal. Uh, but the players themselves all wanted to score the last goal as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, nobody would really admit. It. Everybody was out there <laughs> wanting to score that last goal because I think. Uh, on a personal note, it's it's something to be proud of. And I am. I'm, there's nobody more prouder than me. Uh, but again, it was, you know, when you see the likes of Sanat's face and knowing what it meant to them and what they'd been through with all the different, you know, successes, the deaths, the, the you know, everything that's gone on at that, that stadium. And more so them, the older players that, that had been through everything. It was... It was sad to see, but at the same time, it was given the proper. The result was proper. The performance really was fitting, good, so yeah. it was a fitting and way of leaving. Itself. And the season, yeah. it was icing on the cake for the season, yeah. and a proper way to leave the ground. Last man to score, Bernard, is yourself. The last man to score in the season, Jamie Pollock. Jamie mistake. Pollock at Tranmere. His memory's superb. Isn't I've it? scored. I've scored the first goal. Jamie scored the second goal, and we were winning two-one. And Colin, what had happened? You had to play so many games to get a medal. So Collins made the change later on in the game, took Keith Brannigan off, changed the keeper. Not that it was his fault, but changed the keeper. Neff scored an injury time to make it 2 2. Now that would have got us the 101 points and 100 yeah. goals. So that was probably a, yeah, a little bit disappointing but it didn't take any shine off the celebrations afterwards uh, but talking of Wolves Tranmere were a bit below that but they were a big rival at that time as well John Aldridge was a manager yeah. and he created a lot of a lot of well friction friction maybe. situations whatever you want to call it but he created a lot of that but it was good though I mean these were proper games you know, with, with a lot of sort of rivalries uh, probably probably because of the way we played the game and teams tried to stop us obviously not too long after that yep. you left the club yep. you must be glad to have managed to get to still play a few games on yeah, the pitch without, out there though without doubt I mean well there's not too many players that can say they played at both grounds no very few so, very few yeah so to have that opportunity was good uh, and I think you know, coming in, it was hard. I think initially, the atmosphere wasn't the same. You know, people had been used to standing, obviously, and now we're sitting. People that used to congregate together were now spread out everywhere. You know, it used to be the case that maybe they would start a song at one bit, but it would never really take off. Do you know what I mean? Because everybody was so spread out People in different areas. Nobody really knew yeah. where should I go, where should I sit, where's the atmosphere, or where's the, you know, where's best to go. It was a case of like, well, oh, that looks a good seat. We'll just go and sit there. But we were just so spread out, and it it just didn't seem the same. It was like playing away games for a long time. Mm. I'm sure it felt strange for everybody. 
supporters as well because now you're sitting in luxury aren't you you're sitting in a seat and instead of being like this you're, yeah. you've now got a seat you can spread out a little bit yeah. and you can it's, it's brilliant you know but how tough was it to leave the club then because obviously you left oh. in 1997 yeah. was it difficult because 245 appearances score as many goals as you did as yeah. well obviously a lot of fancy was a hero was it hard to leave devastating yeah devastating uh, it it came about. Look, I mean, I didn't, I didn't look to get away. I didn't want to leave the club, but I was told in no uncertain terms I was only going to be a squad player, and I, I felt that hard to take. I felt it was disrespectful, if I'm honest with you. Mm. You know, I think the previous season, myself and Nathan Blake had scored 54 goals. You know, I mean, we, we, had, a, we had a phenomenal partnership. Uh, we got on really well together, and. I think to be discounted in pre-season and not being given the opportunity was hurtful. Mm. More than anything else. I understand that. Yeah, more than absolutely. anything else, you know. I think because of the success we've had, I think we've we felt we had earned the right to to go out and start. You know, yeah, to, talk, be given the or to be given the opportunity. Yeah. And I think when that was taken away in pre-season without really kicking a ball, that was that, that was hard to take at the time. And then the move to. Bradford City 1997 that you'll admit yourself I've heard you talk about before just didn't quite work out did it? No I was struggling before I left look I mean I, I had been struggling with an Achilles injury for about six months and it hadn't been getting any better and really I should have got it looked at when I was here but I'd kept going and, and then obviously thinking ahead the next summer was the World Cup 98 World Cup now I'd played in all the qualify, qualifying games for Scotland and contributed towards them getting getting to the World Cup. So you want to be involved, and I'm thinking I need to be playing. So when I get told I'm only going to be a squad player, it's not enough. It's not enough because I'm, I'm I know I'm coming towards the end of my career anyway. But you want this, to see if you can get to this that is World Cup. this is the only opportunity I'm ever going to get to play at World Cup finals, and. I think when somebody tells you you're only going to be a squad player then it sets off the alarm bells and I think you're then thinking I need to be playing I didn't want to leave this football club I mean there's no way in the world I wanted to leave this football club no just one of those things that you have to sort of do to try and I mean obviously you're looking at, you can look at it with hindsight now but yeah. when you're told that you're not going to play yeah. you, you need to look after yourself in that yeah. situation don't you so how did you find it at, at Bradford and you just on the way to the room here you said you worked under Chris Kamara yeah what was it like there Cammy was brilliant he really was uh, I mean he obviously took a took a big gamble on, on me and probably I've gone in there not been in the right frame of mind there's, there's you know and no no disrespect to Bradford it just wasn't the right time for me and I was so disappointed in leaving here took you a while to even I could, accept I, that I, I couldn't you know what I mean yeah. I just couldn't I couldn't I couldn't really handle it if I'm honest with you and along with the injury as well well it added to the injury I mean the injury I, I, I kept trying to play and everything else and I, it steadily got worse and worse and worse until I ended up tearing my Achilles and I had to go and get an operation on it which really finished me off but Cammy was great Cammy took the gamble I probably cost him his job if I'm honest with you you know what I mean he probably got sacked <laughs> because of me but uh he was really good. I mean, Cammy was good. He was understanding. He was good to work for at the time, and he knew 
the decision I had made leaving it, how disappointed I was to leave here. Uh, and I never go over it. If I'm 100% honest, I never, ever go over it. So the next spell after that was never really going to work, regardless of it, who, it, who it was, really? No. Or like the Sir Alex to David Moyes effect United? <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I, it doesn't matter who, I, who I, I'd have went to play for. I, I, I just couldn't go over leaving here. Um, your last spell <coughs> playing in the Football League was with Oldham. Yep. Was that, again, a similar situation, trying well, to get yourself motivated to be playing for somebody else? Or? Well, what, what had happened was I had had the operation at Bradford and the following pre-season, they've got me back in working, so I'm getting over this this operation, right? My Achilles is healing. They've sent me out on a road run and I'm talking on roads, right? And I'm, t- I'm, running, I'm running over these cobbles, this, this route they've sent us out on. And, I, and I, my leg's gone again. So I felt it going. I've sat down on the road. I've just waited. I said, look, get somebody, send somebody back to me. I can't even move. I tore it in exactly the same place again. All right. So they've sent me and I've gone to the hospital, I've sent the surgeon again, and, and he said he wouldn't operate on it because it was the same one. And it was like, he just said it'll have to heal itself. So it put me out for nine months. So that was me basically finished. After a few months, I played golf, and even after playing a game of walking around having a game of golf, I couldn't walk for two days. It would swell up; it'd be like a balloon, and it was just terrible. So later on, I don't know how it actually came about. Andy Ritchie phoned me one time out of the blue and says, "What are you doing?" I went, "None." He went, "Why don't you come in and just tickle at it and do a bit of training, see how it goes?" And I said, "Andy, it keeps swelling up. Even though I play golf, it swells up now." He says, "Well, come in and have a look." So I went in, did a bit of training. And it wasn't too bad. You know, I think getting... Like obviously, I was getting treatment every day off the physios and everything else, so he was managing it reasonably well. So I ended up playing a few games. I signed, I played a few games. So he signed me. And John Sheridan was there at the time. They did a half-decent squad, you know. I went and played a few games. And I did OK. Uh, scored, a, scored a couple of goals. And my last game was a game at Brentford. It was an FA Cup game. And it was on the sky just before Christmas. And it had been raining all week. The pitch was sodden. It was like a bog. And I played. I scored. And I think we either won on penalties or got beat on penalties. I think we won on penalties. That was the last game I played. I couldn't walk for four days after that. And I knew then it was just, it was just pointless because you couldn't train right during the week. You were trying to just to manage yourself to get to the next game. But then coming off that one, because the pitch was so soft and so wet, your Achilles, it was just, just couldn't walk for four days. So I just said that was it. I mean, before I looked at this sheet, well, looking at the sheet now, I'm not quite sure what a Riverhawk is. But you went to America after yeah, that, Cincinnati Riverhawks. Yeah, yeah. How did that come about? Well, I'd got an agent got in touch with me and says, uh, would you fancy America? I says, look, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think I can play. And he went, well, what about a player coach? I went, well, if it's more emphasis on the coaching, yes. If it's more emphasis on the playing, no. And he went, well, why don't you, same usual, why don't you go out and just see what like it is, you know what I mean? So I did. And uh, went out, we all moved out. Signed a three-year contract with him as player coach. I never got paid. (laughs) (laughs) So I went out there, I moved everybody out. Five months in, we still hadn't been paid. So anyway, they, they, uh, I left in the end. And what we did was, for the next three or four months, we travelled around America. 
I bought a, like an RV thing, and the whole family was went round America. So we, we used to, you know, what I mean, rather than just all come home, we thought, right, let's do a bit of travelling and let's Whilst do it yeah. whilst mm-hmm. we're there. Yeah. And we did that. And there was other things happening out there as well, so I was doing a bit of coaching and stuff out there. And then I got the news that my mum had got breast cancer. So really that made us come home. Okay. We came home in November that year. So we came back home. So <clears throat> I lost my mum exactly, well, 11 months after that I lost my mum. So we were really glad that we did come back because we had the best part of a year then with her, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then, Gressley Rovers as did you come back and did you come back and then go back out to America? No, well I came back uh, from America in two thousand. Yeah. I then went back out to America in two thousand and three. And the franchise had changed hands by this time. They weren't Cincinnati the Cincinnati Kings. Riverhawks, they were the Cincinnati Kings. Ah, so that's the same. Okay. So I went out there as player assistant manager. Uh, I only ever I played for a few minutes going off the bench you know and then when they were short hmm. but I'd really enjoyed it uh, the, the boy I worked alongside was John Pickup who was who was an English boy who was fantastic came from Blackburn played for Blackburn Accrington and that and was about so that was good uh, had a really good time stayed for nine years so my two youngest kids have gone right through the school system my older pals are out there they go out every summer to visit and everything else in fact my son was getting married in June this year uh, and he had about 30 Americans coming over to the to the wedding, all his mates and stuff. Wow. But Before the virus came along. <coughs> well, that's not happening anymore, yeah. so yeah. But uh, no, so that was, a, that was a great, it was, I think family-wise it was a great time, you know what I mean? Uh, Craig, my son, played for one of the teams I coached. We got to travel the whole of America. Our team was actually ranked number one in America at one point. So they, they do a different thing out there because they go to college tournaments and everyone else. They do a ranking system. You get points when you win tournaments and da da da. So we were ranked number one at one point in in America. Our under fifteen team. So it was good. I mean, it was got to see just about everywhere in America, and it was fantastic. It just it's a, it's a phenomenal country. Yeah. People people are phenomenal and just they really looked after us. But. Uh, we came back in 2012. I actually thought I was coming back to, to work at the football club. Uh, I resigned my position on the Wednesday and Owen Coyle got relieved of his duties on the Sunday. Wow. Oh, so you, you thought you were going to be brought into the, yeah. uh, the football staff. Yeah. What particular role was that, John? Well, there was a bit of debate about that. There was, it was probably the recruitment side mm-hmm. but uh, no I was gutted for Owen because I mean Owen still loves this football club you know what I mean it was disappointing the way it ended for him he had a great start to it here but I think losing Fabrice and Stuart Holden you know any team at that level lose their whole midfield basically it's it's a tough one to, to get by you know they were going so well up until that point and to lose them two in a short space of time mm. just it just destroyed us really. But, but I was disappointed for Owen because you know this job meant so much to him. And you know, to to leave then. But in saying that he got he got the Wigan job after that and I went in there as head of recruitment uh, with him at Wigan, which I enjoyed. It was it was good. 
Uh, he then, he, then Owen himself went out to America. He went out to Houston Dynamo. I didn't, I didn't follow him out there. He's come back and then I went with him to Ross County, which I was head of recruitment at Ross County with him up in the Scottish Premier League. Mm-hmm. So, Owen's just actually finished. He's been managing out in India. He got, to, he got his team, he joined his team when they were bottom of the league. Uh, six games in, they were bottom of the league and they'd only scored four goals and he got them to the final. So they narrowly finished runners up. The final. They narrowly missed out. Mm-hmm. So he's had a tremendous season and he's back uh, back home now and hopefully he'll get something on this side. Fair play to him. So in that sort of chunk of time that you spent in the <coughs> States, where did the spell it? Do you have two spells at one at Gressley and one at Ilkeston? Yeah. Where, whereabouts did they fit into that? Well, when I came back, uh, no, it was before, actually, what am I saying when I came back? Before I went out. Oh, that was before you went out uh, initially? Before, before I went out to okay. America. I went, uh, I took over Gresley, who were, I'm trying to think what league, the, the, what it was called then. Basically the Unibond. Northern Premier League now, is yeah, it? I think, Unibond, yeah, Unibond uh, league they were in. And they were a village team, but they used to get crowds at like four or five hundred, they were, they were okay. But finances was always a problem there. It was a very, very small budget. But we did well. We came up, we beat we beat Southport in the trophy up here. We knocked them out. And then we played, the next round we played Morecambe and Morecambe beat us up at Morecambe. But we had some decent runs in that. Uh, I then left there. I went to Elkiston. Elkiston were in the, it would have been the Conference North at the time. And they were, they were okay. It was a good setup. Lovely ground. Uh, good facilities. They had a chairman that was very wealthy at the, at the time. Uh, and I enjoyed it, you know, but I do think as I, you know, it, people say start at the bottom, work your way up as such. It's difficult. Non-league especially is difficult because, you know, discipline within your players and everything else, you know, when they're working, that's their main job and yet you're demanding on them to, to be as professional as they can yeah. within a part-time scenario. It's difficult because of the wages, obviously, you pay them. Their number one job comes first and to, there's quite a bit of travelling involved and to get people off work, etc., etc. It was tough and it, it's a thankless task. It really is. And the time you put into it, you know, I think... I, I was watching Big Kevin closely. Big Kevin, when he went to Southport, I think he sort of came across the same sort of problems, you know, whereas your standards and your thoughts are different to the players mm. you're dealing with. Yeah. Because you're trying to make them as professional as you can and trying to probably think in longer term, whereas yeah. I think these clubs think short term. Yeah, yeah. It's about this week, isn't it? Not about next season or, or trying, to, mm. trying to build something. Yeah. I don't think you're afforded the time to build anything. I've got a few Bolton specific questions at the end but before I get to them I'll just ask you about your time playing for obviously we know you're a proud Scot yep. playing for your national team Scotland in an era where we spoke about in the office earlier they were reasonably successful in the sense that they got to tournaments and had some you know, yep. real quality players in the squad as well Yep I mean I was involved in two campaigns the Euro 96 team and the World Cup 98 team and you know, you got to think about it. At that time, Scotland had five consecutive World Cups they had qualified for. You know, so there, it was it became the norm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yet we haven't qualified for one since. So 
but I think that the manager at the time Craig Brown he had instilled that there was a club feel you know the boys all got together they enjoyed their time together it was a right good feel within the group uh, and he had fostered that you know so I think Craig probably had realised you know we weren't the best individually but when he put us together as a team we did well strong as a collective yeah yes yeah so I've got a few Bolton related questions now that I'm sure the fans will be uh, eager to hear the answers to the first one 118 goals you scored yep what's the fav- your favourite Bolton goal you've ever scored it's a good question it is a good question because there's a lot to choose from So a lot to choose from and do you know what it might not be spectacular goals but there's a meaning behind them do you know what I mean that maybe other people would look and say well that was only a tap in but it means more do you know what I mean mm. but I mean it's a semi-final game at home to Swindon with a couple of minutes to go we came from behind and we do you know what I mean Mixus hit a screamer into the top corner right and I've managed to I think Alan Thompson's hit a free kick and it's got muddled up between somebody's legs and it's a tap in but it got us to a Wembley Cup final when we weren't going to get there if that makes sense 20 minutes before with a mountain to climb Hull City away you know Arsenal away it, 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 Anfield the header of Anfield has got to be because I think that's it because it's that one was the start it was like a rebirth of the football club if I'm honest with you that night do you know what I mean it was like we as a club arrived again we were back you know what I mean and that that was the beginning it has to be Anfield the best moment in your Bolton Wanderers career wow individually selfishly would be the last goal at Bundon Park I think again, probably that goal at Anfield is right up there. Yeah, right at the top of the mountain. <coughs> um, a sort of double question: This, who's the best Bolton player you've played with? If you had to pick one, I know there's a lot. Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be patient with you here. But if you can pick one, do you know something? That I've got a list as long as you're on for different reasons. You know, leaders: Goodney Birch and Jerry Taggart. My, my strike partners you know what I mean Andy Walker Owen Coyle Nathan Blake Big Mixu I mean it's hard to distinguish you know between I look at Andy you know Andy and myself were, were phenomenal myself and Owen as a partnership were, was really good as well and myself and Blake you was just it was phenomenal I mean you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> I mean no, honestly we I was lucky I was blessed I was able to play with some really good players and, and we, I think we all enhanced each other's games worked hard for each other did the basics right and I think more importantly if you're playing in a strike partnership you have to take as much joy from your partner scoring a goal as yourself if that, if that doesn't happen it's never going to be right um, you obviously played in the Premier League with Bolton yeah um, so imagine you've got a bit of a pull to players to choose from for this next question but the best play you've played against might not necessarily be from the Premiership no, no. not necessarily maybe it's uh, someone from Cincinnati or no I don't think that's the case but no. No. maybe Scotland I think you'd go you'd go far to to beat Dennis Bergkamp I think he was absolutely outstanding just to watch him I'll tell you another another guy who was phenomenal he was playing for Newcastle at the time uh, Ginola Mm. David Ginola 
we played against him one night and I think it was Scott Green again <laughs> Scott Green oh, Scott Green <laughs> I'm telling you I think he absolutely he, but do you know what to see him right he was about 6 foot 2 6 foot 3 and he was built like an Adonis right and just look and, and a good looking man as well by the way right and you just look at him and you think Jesus God I mean, <laughs> and Greeny he was just he was just like gliding past Greeny his feet didn't look like they were even touching the grass do you know what I mean he was magnificent do you know that night that was when he was on top of his game because you got his move to Tottenham and you know what I mean that was when he was really at his peak he was fantastic but when you look at it Cantona you know, Roy Keane all these guys at that time were 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 at the top of their games, you know what I mean? And the Premier League at that time was, it wasn't so dominant by maybe one or two teams. There were some good teams in there. Mm. It was more spread out. Final one then. I mean, you couldn't pick an outright best Bolton teammate, <clears throat> but if you had to pick an 11, could you do that? A if Bolton like, 11? If you had to pick like, of like a dream team uh-huh. from your time at Bolton. Yeah. Uh, where, where would you start? Goalkeeper, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Keith Brannigan, without a doubt. So Brannigan, yeah. It sticks. Yeah, without, without doubt. Uh, wow, he put me in a spot here. You told me this earlier, I'd have worked on it. Back four. Back four. I imagine. We're not going continental, are we? I'd probably have to go with Goodyear right back to, okay. fit, in, to fit in the rest. Uh, ah, good thinking. Tactician. I would go with Jerry Taggart in there because if not he might batter me <laughs> <laughs> so this is not necessarily going to be the uh, no, best 11 uh, probably alongside him Chris Fairclough yeah I think Chris was a unsung bit of an unsung hero really scored a lot of goals as well for us from set pieces and stuff you know a good, good player and his career as a whole as well tremendous uh, left back probably going to have to move Alan Thompson to left back just to fit him in. Couldn't do without that left foot wand. Right, and, uh, do you know what I mean? What an attacking fullback that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alan Thompson at left back. Uh, Are we 4 4 2 here? Have to yeah, be. Yeah, you have to be. Sure. Traditional 4 4 2. Let's go for it. My wide right's got to be David Lee. Speaks for itself. No question. In the middle. There's a big decision here <laughs> over a certain Tony Kelly. He's in and about. <laughs> He's in and about. Now, I'll put him in there because I'm going to go for a fit Tony Kelly. Right? <laughs> At 4 4 2, I'll put him in there uh, alongside Per Franson. Uh, my wide left player. Is this the tricky one? It's not the tricky one. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find out. <laughs> I wanted to go three up front. You can if you want. You can put a middle three. You just have to expect a lot from your full back. Yeah, but I need to go four. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go four up front. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to go on Coyle on the left, I think. Okay. Left footed. I mean, he played wide left a few games for us. At Wembley, finally played wide left, the playoff game. That's the one that counts. Uh, up the middle. I want to go myself, Andy and Nathan, up the <laughs> middle. But I've only got two spaces. 
Did you drop yourself? Yeah. You, I'll, I'll, do you? I'll, you, you I'll, can manage the team. No, I'm going to go Andy and, and Blakey. I think they would do well together. And I'll put myself as sub. I'll, okay. come on, I'll come on with 20 minutes. Very, very modest, John. I'll come on with 20 minutes to go and get the winner. Can't allow it, get that. Very modest, John. Very modest. So there, there you go. But do you know what? There's a plethora of players. Little, little Michael Johansson, do you know what I mean? The midfield, midfielders, especially. I mean, I've done a disservice to a lot of midfielders in there that should be in as well. But you just can't fit everybody in. I mean, I, no. I would have 30 subs. No, Jason McAteer. Well, Jason Stubbsy as well. I mean, yeah, Stubbsy, like, you out. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, I could have all oh, them in. I mean, I could have Stubbsy alongside right in the stair of Chris. Fitt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's you've got so many players to play from. You got you got to remember at that time we had some good teams, good players individually as well, and and the success was there for all to see. So they were all at the top of their game. Mm. You know, to, to to afford the success we had, they had to be at the top of their game. So it's a disservice by not putting anybody in, really. That's your eleven. Then we'll go with that. Cheers, John. Thanks Thank for your time. Absolute John. pleasure to have you. Thank on. you. Sorry for boring you so long. <laughs> <laughs> Our pleasure.